Hi guys, today is Suicide Prevention Day. Um, today, September 10 is World Suicide Prevention Day. And while September is Suicide Awareness Month, we believe there is a lot of organized out there, organizations out there that do fantastic work in relation to awareness and awareness around suicide. What we want to do is we want to bring awareness and really move forward from that awareness space, but bring awareness to those people who are supporting people who are at risk. Um, I've been there, I've personally done it. And I know how hard it is to do and how confusing it can be at times. And that's what we want to do today is try and bring um, some suggestions, maybe a blueprint, a toolkit that you can download at the end of the live that will help you be that support person when someone calls upon you. Um, there's no denying that 2020 has proved to be a different year with very many different challenges. As we move towards unprecedented times, we need more tools to help us support ourselves and others, whether it be family members, friends, colleagues, a member of our community. We can all play a part. And we don't need to be afraid or turn away from these difficult conversations that can make a difference to someone and ultimately save a life. This, safe, this Facebook event is not about mental health awareness. There's so much out there already and to the point that everyone is aware and I think we've done that to death. And I think what we've done is we've done it brilliantly by bringing it to the front of people's mind, but we get to the point where we're like, okay, we're aware of it, but what do we do from here? Um, this is about what do we do when someone actually says to us, I'm not okay. We ask the question, are you okay? They say, I'm not okay. How do we deal with that? How do we be a good listener, be a good friend, be good help? And how do we do with our unconscious biases and beliefs that we have in our mind? And how does that actually affect how we actually help that person? And that's what we want to talk about today. So simply stated, there's not enough meaningful conversations being had around mental health, especially during the coronavirus pandemic, and people don't really know how to assist. That's why we're having the conversation today. Right now, you may be tuning in through multiple different social media faucets. Um, uh, wherever you're tuning in from, welcome and buckle up on this corona coaster. <laughs> it's going to be an uncomfortable ride. It's going to be confronting, but it's going to give you skills, um, you know, to make you feel more confident in how to approach people that are struggling or, you know, what to say after the fact when people say, you know, I'm not doing okay. You know, so it, it also touches on your limitations as a support person and works on some of your mindset around that. So, um, you know, there will be a few different issues that we'll touch on today. Yeah. So just to give context to why um, we feel that as a community, we now need to move past the awareness stage and actually start to engage and actually be part of the change or part of the help. Lifeline has reported that 22% a 22 spike in calls from Victoria compared with the same time last year. In the days after Melbourne went into lockdown for the second time. So that is telling us that the system is overloaded um, and there's only so much the system can do. We already know that the system in Melbourne um, or in Victoria is incredibly broken. Um, and additional demands for mental health care has come at a time where the system is broken and it hasn't been fixed in time to deal with the coronavirus. Um, the mental health workforce is gradually growing. Um, they are doing as much as they can, um, but it's 
capacity hasn't been growing as fast as the need. Um, so it really does mean that it calls upon family, it calls upon friends and, and the community to be more educated and more aware and, and chip in where we can. Um, around that, we do have our own beliefs around um, how we respond to people in need. Um, the public health system is overloaded and we know that we can't rely on professional health alone. Mental health during COVID-19 has been incredibly impacted and um, the uncertainty, disruption, um, and disappearing optimism as the situation becomes chronic. The hope that corona, um, the coronavirus might be something that we only have to manage for a matter of months is long gone. We just don't know how long we have to deal with this. There's been a lot of back and forth in Melbourne, um, which has been quite damaging, especially to our younger generations. Um, the assumption that you'll never, um, that if you've never been unwell um, psychologically before, that you'll be fine is absolutely not true. These are unprecedented times. So in this live, we'll cover values, beliefs and biases as a support person, suicide warning signs, we'll provide a risk assessment, a communication approach, dealing with your own feelings, exploring options, dealing with depression and anger, looking out for the triggers, contracting with the person, recognising your limitations, and we'll also be providing a toolbox with all of the information as well at the end of the, um, the live today. So sadly, there are over 3,000 suicides in Australia each year and over 65,000 attempts. It is estimated there'll be a 25% increase each year in suicides over the next five years due to the impact of the coronavirus. Statistically, 75% of suicides are committed by males, but more, more women attempt suicide than men. Suicide is a leading cause of death for Australians between 15 and 44 years of age. There's an onslaught of young people now taking their own lives. While some suicides are out of the blue, very often there are warning signs. Given the prevalence of suicide attempts in this country, you may know someone that will or have already considered it or even completed it. So whether you realize it or not. So talk about a little bit about um, who we are and why we're talking about um, Suicide prevention. Um, if you haven't met us before, my name's Carrie. And I'm Pete. Uh, we're the founders of the Wabi Sabi movement. One part of our business is Wabi Sabi coaching, which we specialize um, in relationships and healing from trauma, loss, and betrayal. We have a number of products that are dedicated to giving you the very best of our expertise in identifying, managing, and resolving personal grief with a particular focus on relationships, emotions, mental health, loss, and self-reflection. All of this comes from our experiences, the blueprint that we're giving you um, in relation to trying to map out how you can actually help as that carer is what we've done in the past. Um, in relation to our coaching products that we've got, these are the things that we've done. This is the work that we did to get ourselves out of the holes that we got ourselves into. Also on top of that, my brother um, unfortunately committed suicide um, about 12 months ago. So I've been through it. I know um, what it's like to actually go through that. I know the questions that I wish I knew at the time to have asked. I wish I had these tools to 
not so that he didn't just rely on the system because the system is incredibly broken. So I've gone through and we've done a lot of research around what are the things that we could have asked, what are the things that we could have done that maybe would have had a different outcome. Maybe they would have, maybe they wouldn't. We all have our own beliefs around suicide and whether, you know, people will never do it, um, no matter how many times they attempt or if it's a cry for help or, or what it is. And we're going to talk about how our beliefs, our values and how we feel about that actually impacts how we help someone. Um, as expert relationship coaches, we identify the risk of people have um, in recent trauma. We have found these people that are very much at risk around the time of crisis, including in this category of people who have suffered from a loss associated with relationships. So we specialize in relationship coaching and we understand that people who go through the problems in their relationship are incredibly vulnerable and incredibly at risk. Um, so we really want to bring that to, to the forefront of people's minds that when people are saying that they're having issues with their relationship, they're separating, they're getting divorced, there's kids involved, just understand that that it's a very risky situation and we want to give you the tools as a friend or as a, as a support person to really help that person. Um, we also want um, you to understand um, your powers and your limitations, what you can and can't do, what your limitations actually are um, so that you don't feel like um, you've let someone down or that an outcome is because of something that you've done. So the first step in helping is to try to understand the person's current thinking and the support person's expectations also have to be realistic. We'll cover these two items later on, but first we'll just go into a little bit of a disclaimer. We are coaches. We're not therapists, psychiatrists, or counselors. The information we share is based on the experience we've had. And if you have any further concerns, um, please contact one of the professional service providers, which, you know, will be listed on our description of our post later on. Okay, so let's get straight into it. The first thing we're going to talk about is value, beliefs and biases as a support person. The one thing that we have to remember as a support person with someone who is at risk is the support person's expectations have to be realistic. Um, your thoughts are not their thoughts and you really need to understand that. There are ethical issues involved when dealing with a person who's contemplating suicide. Uh, before choosing how we do with those um, requesting our help, we need to clarify our own beliefs in relation to suicide. It's ultimately desirable that we do not impose our own values on the people who seek our help. However, we do need to be authentic to ourselves. So each of us needs to do our own work in order to satisfy our own conscience. In addition to this, we need to be aware of any biases that we have in relation to suicide. For example, ask yourself this very confronting question. Does a person have the right to take their own life if they choose to do so? It really is a quite hard one. My, my answer to that will be very different to Pete's and Pete's answer to that will be different to mine and probably different to someone who seeks our help. Your answer to this question may differ from ours and our answers may differ from those of um, for people who seek your help. We suggest that you explore this question in depth so that you have a clear idea of your own attitudes and beliefs regarding suicide. You would then be better equipped to support someone um, who has suicidal thoughts. Yeah, we understand that some people believe that a person has a right to kill themselves if after careful consideration, if they choose to do so. 
and where most people strongly oppose this view and believe that firm intervention is justifiable and necessary to prevent suicide from occurring. Many people believe that a person who is contemplating suicide may temporarily emotionally be disturbed and are not capable of making a rational decision at that time. So this belief is reinforced by the experiences with people who are suicidal and then later have thanked those that have helped them because they've found new meaning and satisfaction in their lives. So a lot of people, they, they feel that their duty of care justifies a need for firm intervention and voluntary hospitalization and subsequent psychiatric treatment where other options have failed. Um, clearly there are duty of care issues involved because suicide involves a one-way journey and people who have suicidal thoughts need to be taken seriously. Remember that people who repeatedly make suicide attempts often succeed in killing themselves eventually. So their cry for help needs to be heard before it is too late. And it's to be taken seriously. Um, the second one is reasons for having suicidal thoughts. So we're going to go through all the reasons why people may have suicidal thoughts. Um, people who are constant, uh, considering suicidal thoughts broadly fall into four categories, although they tend to overlap to some extent. The first category comprises of people um, whose quality of life is terrible and who see very little or no possibility for improvement. Included in this category are people who are chronically ill, um, have chronic pain, seriously disabled, or are in extreme poverty with very little possibility of changing their situations. Such people are often severely depressed and are seriously at risk of ending their lives because they can see little to no reason for living. This is particularly so if they are alone and they do not have adequate social support. The second category includes people who have experienced a recent trauma. These people are very much at risk around their time of crisis. Included in this category are people who have suffered a loss associated with relationships or some other type of loss. So for example, a loss of a limb or an internal part of their body. Mental, function, mental functioning due to age or brain damage. Um, we've noticed a high proportion of problems um, people experience are concerned with trauma. Loss, betrayal, issues related to relationships that fall into the four major categories. Um, these are dysfunctional relationships, uh, failure to form meaningful relationships, lost relationships through death and separation, um, negotiating the, the normal or deve developmental changes and changes in relationships. Just remembering that um, it's really important for people to have connection with people at some level. So when people go through um, some sort of uh, like a divorce or separation or something like that. It's that loss of that meaningful relationship, which can happen very early on in the relationship and but may only be realised um, at that time of separation. The third category comprises of people who use suicidal talk or suicidal behaviour as a last resort in an attempt to get others to hear or respond to their pain. Sometimes their goal is to manipulate the behaviour of others. They, they are still genuinely at risk, but their motivation is different. They often have considerable um, ambivalence towards dying and may or may not really want to die. Some people in this category are openly manipulative and, for example, might say to a spouse who has left them, come back to me or I will kill myself or don't leave, I will kill myself. But the fourth category includes people who are having a psychotic episode and maybe hearing voices that tell them to kill themselves. Uh, clearly, these people need urgent psychiatric help, so you might not be able to assist them with the, um, 
you know, the regular tools that you may have. Um, so the first step in helping is try to understand the person's current thinking to get a better understanding of where they're at. Absolutely. Um, we're drawing up a list of possible reasons as to why a person might contemplate or talk about the possibility of suicide. As you go through this list, um, which will be available in the, in the toolbox that's downloadable at the end of this live, um, you may wish to think about whether there might be other reasons which um, have not been included. This list will also, oh, sorry to explain that it will be available um, as, a as a download. Um, so the reasons for this are um, because they despair of the current situation and are unable to see an alternative solution to their problem, which seem to be unsolvable, um, intolerable and inescapable. Because they are emotionally disturbed, are afraid that they may commit suicide and want to be stopped. They may talk about it to make a statement as a way of hurting others as an ultimate expression of anger to make a last ditch effort to draw attention to seemingly impossible situation when other methods have failed. Um, another reason is to manipulate someone else. Because they have positively decided to commit suicide, want to do it, and want other people to understand the reasons of the proposed action. To be in contact with another human being prior to or while dying. To say goodbye as preparation for death because they have a psychotic episode and are hearing voices telling them to kill themselves. So the next one is risk assessment. Anyone who says that life is not worth living may, at some, may be at some level of risk. However, many people who have no intention of killing themselves experience times when they despair and also start to question the value of their lives. The difficulty is to determine the, lift, the, the level of risk for a particular person. I mean, this may vary depending on your relationship with that person. You may know, you know, what, you know, what your experience has been in the past. Um, it's here that experience um, can be very helpful and estimated level of risk in deciding whether action needs to be taken or not and in choosing the action to take. If action is needed, consequently being super clear on your values and beliefs in this regard will be helpful and determining the best course of action in order to satisfy your own conscience. But there's some factors that are commonly considered in the relevant literature to be useful in determining level of risk. Uh, we'll suggest further reading at the end. Um, there are a number of risk factors to be considered. Uh, this is quite lengthy, um, the risk factors to be considered. What we might do is just actually just summarise them and then in the downloads we'll provide the further information. So um, the risk, risk factors to be considered is gender and um, ethnicity. Um, women attempt suicide more often than men. Uh, males are associated with high risk. This is because males are more often successful in completing suicide than females. In particular, in Australia, Aboriginal males are associated with high risk. Um, and that's something that I didn't know until I started looking into this. Um, age is a very, very important one. Um, intense or frequent thoughts of suicide. So this is really opening up that dialogue with people and having open and honest conversations and creating that safe space, but also creating trust. Um, and, um, you know, walls where you're not gonna discuss that with anybody else but the person who is going through that. Warning signals, there are a lot of warning signals um, that can let you know um, where that person is actually at. Um, having a suicide plan, 
um, choice of lethal method, availability of the method, um, the difficulty to rescue, being alone and having a lack of support. Don't forget that when people contemplate suicide and they're seriously considering it, they're considering all these things, all these things that we wouldn't think about um, and that you may not have thought about in order to you know, help save that person. Um, being alone and having a lack of support. Previous attempts is really, um, previous attempts is an indication of risk. This is particularly so if the attempts have been frequent and are recent and have been serious. Um, if a friend or family member has died or suicided, that person is at risk. Um, someone who's regularly listening to songs about death. Depression is another indication. Um, psychiatric history loss of rational thinking, um, unexplained improvement, giving away possessions, medical problems, substance abuse, relationship problems, changes in lifestyle or routine, financial problems, trauma and abuse, loss. It's the last one I think, yep, loss. Um, the risk factors that we have just discussed are included in our assessment risk, which will be included in the toolbox of resources, and it goes through in, in a lot more depth around that. Um, this assessment may be used for personal use and used as an aid to support in identifying risk factors of people with suicidal thoughts or tendencies. However, it must be remembered that there is no one precise formula for assessing risk. There is no crystal ball because we as humans are all unique. Um, possessing our own individual qualities. Um, all talk of suicide needs to be taken seriously and appropriate help sought when necessary. So what this is, is an, it's an actual assessment um, where you can go through and tick the boxes and have a look at um, if you're supporting someone or you're worried about someone, how many boxes you're actually ticking there um, to assess the risk involved. Um, the next section we want to talk about is actually communication methods and how, um, as a support person, we communicate to someone who's at risk. So perhaps the biggest problem for a support person when seeking to help a person troubled by suicidal thought is a support person's own anxiety. So sometimes when this is new to a support person, they'll try and deflect the person away from suicidal thought rather than encouraging them to bring it to them or bring, it, bring their self-destructive thoughts into the open and deal with it. Um, appropriately. So unfortunately, such avoidance of the issue may increase the likelihood of a suicide attempt. So it's, it's very advantageous to bring it out into the open. So when exploring suicidal thoughts, so whenever we communicate with a depressed or anxious person, we need to look for the smallest clues that might suggest that the person may be contemplating suicide. So people are often up, are reluctant to say, I want to kill myself. They tend to be less specific and want to make a statement such as, I don't enjoy my life anymore, or I'm fed up with living. So when a person makes a statement, you know, like this, it might make sense to be direct and just ask them, are you thinking of killing yourself? Um, and this way, it, it brings the suicidal thoughts out into the open and can be dealt with. Um, we need to be of the understanding that a significant proportion of people are at some times in their lives um, ambivalent about wanting to live and many consider the possibility of committing suicide before rejecting it. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to just bring it all out into the open and just ask those, you know, pretty hard hitting questions because 
you know, you need to know. And that person needs to know as well, I think, just to, um, to make it clear. Absolutely. And it's advantageous to be direct when exploring suicidal thoughts. There's no pussyfooting around it. We need to, we really need to get to the question. We really need to ask it um, so that we know where that person actually is at. By asking the question, they may not realise that they're actually heading towards that and but by asking it it brings them to uh, it allows them to go full circle um and maybe reject that idea and that thought so initially it's important to concentrate on establishing trust just so you can uh, you know talk openly about their feelings and intentions uh, we can encourage this by saying i'm concerned for your safety and well-being and it's important for me to understand fully how and why you're feeling the way you do by taking this approach, the person is likely to recognize that you're joining them with the exploration of their feelings rather than working in opposition or just judging them. Yeah, that's right. So that's mm. instead of saying, well, I don't want you to heal yourself. It's actually just going in and trying to understand um, why they're feeling the way that they are and going, holding their hand. And um, I'm not saying holding their hand to, to the end of the journey. I'm saying holding their hand as they're trying to explore what's going on for them in their life and how they can find significance, how they can find uh, belonging um, and all the things that people really want in their life. So focusing on the person's ambivalence, uh, we recognise that each individual person needs to make a decision for themselves about how they would advise a suicidal person. Uh, some people may prefer a direct approach where they will try and convince a person they shouldn't kill themselves. And for some people, that may be the best approach. Um, however, in our view, this may not always be the best approach as it puts you in, a, in opposition to the person. Um, we think it's usually more useful to focus on building a relationship with the person and explore their ambivalence. Now, most, if not all people with suicidal thoughts have some degree of ambivalence towards dying. Uh, if a person was 100% convinced that they wanted to kill themselves, they probably wouldn't be talking to you or seeking help. They would just go ahead with their plan. So we found that focusing on the person-to-person -person relationship while exploring the person's ambivalence is often the key to successfully you know, talking to those who are contemplating suicide. Um, and the other option um, is exploring options. So um, one of the problems with making a choice between two alternatives is that whenever we make a choice, almost invariably there's a loss or a cost involved. By choosing suicide, a person loses life, um, contact with um, others, the opportunity to communicate. Um, they lose um, the opportunity to work on um, their pain. In addition, they lose hope, if they had any to begin with in the future anyway. Um, the cost of dying is likely to include fear of the unknown. And um, if they're religious, people will be feared for being punished for killing themselves. In many situations, it can be advantageous to make a person who's contemplating suicide aware of their ambivalence and to take them to have a look at the consequences, the costs and the payoff um, of dying and living. Although at some stage we may decide that duty of care requires um, the use of firm intervention. In the first instance, we try to avoid directly pressuring the person to stay alive and instead help them explore their options. In this way, the person is likely to feel understood, 
has the opportunity to work through the pain and may feel sufficiently valued to enable them to reconsider their decision. By joining the focus, uh, by joining the person, they're free to explore both the I want to die part of self and the opposite polarity with the support person working alongside by side with the exploration. And it's really important that they go through that process themselves, not being told to do that, but they actually come to that realisation themselves. Yeah, the direct approach is obviously try to persuade the person who is contemplating suicide that living is the best option. This is not usually the, the first preference because it sets up a struggle between the person who is saying, I want to die, and the support person who is saying, I want you to live. Uh, there is then heavy pressure on the support person of the rightness of living. And this may be difficult as a support person and the person are in opposition rather than joining together. Now, even so, this, this approach can be successful with some people. There is no universal right way um, to go. Every person is unique and so is every support person. Each support person needs to choose an approach that seems right for them and for the person who is seeking their help. Now, if a support person concentrates on establishing, maintaining a sound person-to-person -person relationship, uh, then they can optimise their, their chance of success. Um, where this approach is not successful, duty of care requires a support person to refer to a professional. So, um, if you don't already have a list, again, we'll provide you know some of the top ones that we that we know of. Yeah, that so. we suggest that you that you yeah. utilise. Um, the last one is dealing with your own feelings, and this is dealing with your own feelings as the support person, um, and just remembering that the the person is more important than the problem. We very much believe in self-care um, and attending to our own oxygen mask before attending to others. In other words, owning our stuff. This allows us to care for others so that we can then give to others. Um, it would be very, very unusual for a person indeed if you don't become emotionally tense when a person tells you that they're having suicidal thoughts. Um, it is a very, very challenging situation. Um, it puts a lot of pressure on you as well. Allow yourself to experience your feelings as they pop up and then you'll be able to do, decide what you'd like to do about them. Um, it's likely that these feelings may result um, from you giving yourself unhelpful messages um, and putting a lot of pressure on yourself like that if you know, if you don't do X, Y, Z, then they're, they're going to kill themselves and the, the outcome's going to be that. Um, we need to have realistic expectations. We need to know our limitations. We also need to understand um, how much influence we actually have on someone. If someone comes to us and says that they're suicidal and they want to die and all this kind of stuff, it's very, very hard and we don't really have the power to stop that. We have um, a way of like that we've just gone through multiple ways of how you can deal with that um, and help them as best as possible. But ultimately you don't have control over somebody else. No one has control over anybody else. Um, we can only give as good as we are and you cannot give from an empty vessel or from a place of fear. However, you can give to yourself um, helpful messages after discarding the self-destructive messages that may be contributing to your tension. So I know it's very, very common for people to start to panic, um, to put it, to come from a place of fear. Um, and what we do have is a list of 
um, messages that we would ordinarily probably say to ourselves that are incredibly unhelpful when we're in that support position um, to new messaging that would like you to change that too. It just, it helps change your mindset. Um, it really, um, it just really lays out you know, the limitations and, and what you can do. And, you know, the fact that you know, if someone comes and opens up to you and starts to talk to you about these things, that's great. They trust you. They want to talk to you about that kind of stuff. Um, but you cannot be tied to the outcome. You can only help them go through that process as best that you can. So we want to um, challenge your self-destructive thoughts. Um, and if your feelings of tensions don't subside, you may need to consult in a therapist to help you get through the self-destructive messages um, in order to assist others. And again, we will provide you with that, um, with that list. Yeah. So just dealing with depression and anger, people who are contemplating suicide are usually in a deep depression, um, often due to repressed anger. Sometimes a person who is contemplating suicide may be turning anger uh, which could be appropriately directed at others, inwards and towards themselves. So it may be useful just to ask the question, um, who are you really angry with? If the, if the person replies saying, oh, myself, you can agree that that's obvious and consistent with wanting to suicide. You might say, uh, you are angry with yourself, you just want to punish yourself by killing yourself. Uh, this reframe of suicide as self-punishment rather than escape may be useful in some cases um, in helping to produce change. Um, you could then ask after yourself, who are you most angry with? Uh, if by doing this, you can help the, ver the per person to verbalize their anger and direct it away from themselves and onto some other person or persons, uh, their depression and suicidal thoughts may moderate. Uh, it's important to remember though, uh, just as a support person, it's important to do uh, the best that you can to ensure the person who seeks your help is not in danger or a danger to others. Yeah, absolutely. So another way of um, entering into another person's world is just finding out what the triggers are. So uh, what triggered their suicidal thoughts today? Um, very often a single event is a trigger and this trigger can sometimes give important clues about the person's intentions. Um, so for example, if um, the person's intention is to partly punish someone who has angered or hurt them, um, it might be useful just to explore those issues involved. So just um, talk to that person about it, try and get to the, the whole root of the cause and just talk through it. And, you know, some of those thoughts and tendencies may just subside just by doing that simple thing. Yeah, absolutely. Just trying to find out what that trigger is, what's triggered them that day. Um, contracting. Uh, this is a method that we use sometimes um, to help people. Um, who are having suicidal thoughts. And I think it really helps in putting a process in place or a plan B or even like a, a, an emergency crisis mode. Um, after working through the relevant issues with the person who has been troubled by suicidal thoughts, it might be helpful to encourage the person to um, engage in a contract to agree that if strong suicidal thoughts return, they will not kill themselves before contacting you again in an attempt to work through their feelings. Um, we can negotiate with people to obtain a verbal agreement about what action they will take if um, strong suicidal thoughts occur. What that does is it allows um, a plan to be put in place, but also to give you a peace of mind that there is, you know, 
there's a tool there, a process there for them to follow so that you can sleep at night as well. Exploring alternatives with them regarding help um, they might seek if they start to feel tempted to commit suicide again. Um, we can ask them who is the first person that would try to contact and if that person wasn't available, who would they then contact um, or where would they go for help? In seeking a verbal agreement, we rely on the strength of the relationship, making it clear to the person that it is important to us that we believe that we can trust them and honour the agreement. It's also important to recognise your limitations. So don't forget that it's unrealistic, um, unfortunately, to expect the person, um, that a person will, un will necessarily decide to stay alive. Um, you might be able to if you choose to take measures to ensure that the person stays alive in the short term, but in the long term, it's probably gonna do more harm. And if they are determined to kill themselves, they are likely to su succeed. Um, if, you will need to decide whether direct action to prevent suicide is warranted and necessary. Now, this decision is a heavy one and it's uncertain um, to be influenced by your own values. Mm -hmm. um, so you just, again, going back to the triggers and, and all of that and your own values, it needs to come into play here as well um, to decide what your next steps are gonna be. Uh, there are some cases where the decision to intervene is clear uh, would be, for example, unethical and irresponsible to allow somebody who is um, psychologically disturbed due to a temporary psychiatric condition or a sudden trauma to kill themselves without um, determined and positive action being taken to stop them. Mm -hmm. A person who is seriously contemplating suicide, um, they're likely to need ongoing psychotherapy from a skilled professional. So be prepared you know, to refer and suggest further help appropriately. Um, the eventual well-being of such a person depends on, on them being un unable to make significant changes in their thinking and way of living. Um, it's unlikely to be achieved in one professional counselling session, so there might need to be either a specific counsellor or even alternative um, counselling as well. Um, there's a lot of avenues out there, but I think the first step is just going to you know, one, one person or a counsellor. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's a wrap for us pretty much, isn't yeah. it? So that, that was a lot of information we understand that. So what we have done is we've created the toolbox for you to download so that you can go through that in your own time. Sometimes it's helpful to go through it um, um, when you need it. Um, it makes more sense that way. Some of, some of you guys would have uh, been in our shoes, but we've been the support person. Um, you may be might have been a support person where it didn't work out quite the way that you wanted it to, and, and that's okay too. Um, we just want to make sure that um, we're not afraid to go out and, and support people because we're afraid of the outcome or it comes from a place of fear. People are reaching out because they need help. They need connection. They need help. Sometimes they just need to go full circle in their mind um, to try and work out what, what it is that's actually going on. Um, the cost, the weighing up the cost, that one is, um, that tool is actually a really, really good one for them to go through. Um, but being available is, um, and not being afraid to be available to them. Um, I hope you found this information to be useful. Um, Today, it's all about suicide prevention. Um, we feel like there is a lot of information out there around um, helping people who are at risk. Um, we just wanna make sure that the people who are helping those that are at risk are okay as well, um, because it puts a lot of pressure on you. 
um, and we're all going through the pressures of um, the COVID roller coaster right now. <laughs> so make sure you download the items in the toolbox. Um, we'll put the link in the post so that you can do that. Um, and any questions that you have, please reach out to us. Yeah. Anything else? No, that's all. all Thank right. you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Bye. That's the right thing. It wasn't recording. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Would you have done? Yes. Would you have done? That was the best one yet.